Hi, this is Sarah Grady. Welcome to another episode of The Estruin Gradient. The Estruin Gradient is a podcast of the North and South Rivers Watershed Association and the Mass Bay's South Shore region. You can get in touch with The Estruin Gradient on Twitter, at Estruin Gradient, or uh, at the NSRWA's Twitter, at NSRWA, or you can also send me an email at Sarah at nsrwa.org. And uh, I'm always looking for topics and questions, so definitely feel free to get in touch with me. People love going to the beach, and usually people like to have a sandy beach to put their towel or chair on. If you've gone to the beach in the late summer, you may have noticed that there's more sand. If you go to the beach in the winter, you may notice that the sand isn't really there that you're really on a bunch of cobbles, particularly here in eastern Massachusetts, and the sand is offshore. I've often heard people say, where did all these rocks come from? Well, the rocks were always there. They were just underneath the sand during the summer. Today, I'm going to be talking about beach profiling. And in particular, I'm going to be speaking with Annie O'Connell from UMass Stone Living Labs about their project to engage volunteers to monitor the slope of our beaches through a process called beach profiling. Throughout the podcast, you'll hear us refer to sediment. And perhaps you might be thinking of sediment as being something that is pretty fine-grained. But in the case of coastal geology, sediment refers to all of the grain sizes, by which we mean everything from sand to gravel, to cobble, to boulders. I also went out in the field with my volunteers and recorded them in action. So you'll be hearing a little bit of that too. We're going to start with my conversation with Annie O'Connell. So uh, my name is Annie O'Connell. I'm a second year master's student at UMass Boston, and I've been involved with um, the Still Living Lab, which is a partnership between UMass Boston um, and a few other agencies around the area to do community science. Um, And the first project that we did was based on beach profiling. So what is beach profiling? So if you kind of imagine cutting a beach in half and looking at it from the side view, that cross-sectional view from the top of the beach to the waterline is the profile. And that will change um, based on time of year with seasonal variations of weather patterns. And it can also change after big episodic storms. So um, visiting a beach frequently and measuring these profiles can give you an idea of what kinds of changes are happening on the beach based on the season and weather. What kinds of things can we learn from beach profiles? So beach profiles are really, um, they're good tools to kind of, like I said before, understand patterns of behavior on beaches. Um, If you have a long-term record, you can kind of see what's happening on a seasonal basis. So does your beach uh, build up during the summer and lose sediment during the winter? Does that sediment come back every year? Um, What are the expected um, responses to a big storm? Does it end up um, with a lot of uh, sediment erosion happening or does sediment accretion or overwash happen instead? Um, This obviously depends on the type of storm, but if you're out there measuring frequently enough, you can kind of get an idea of what might happen on your beach based on um, 
where it is, you know, with the waves and tide, and if it's right on the water, if it has some sort of protection. Um, and these beach profiling measurements can be used by scientists and educators and other kinds of decision makers who might be interested in knowing what their beach might do in the future. So this was a citizen science project. What's the benefit of using volunteers to collect this data? Yeah, good question. Um, I really love citizen or community science. I think it's a really interesting way to do science. One of the bigger benefits is that if you've got a network of community members helping you out with a project, you can essentially be in, you know, 10 different places at once. So you can get a lot more information collected than just with a small team of researchers. But also on the other side, um, having that connection with community members and volunteers and hearing their experiences and observations and motivations for being involved in a project is really useful for researchers as well. So it's kind of, um, it kind of goes both ways. How many beaches were part of the project? Yeah, 12 beaches total as part of this project. The northernmost one was Kings Beach up in Lynn in Massachusetts. And then the southernmost one was in Duxbury. Um, and we had 10 kind of scattered out uh, around Greater Boston Harbor in the middle of those two. So our beach that we surveyed was Duxbury. And we tried to get out there pretty much every month, including uh, during the winter, which is sometimes when you see some of the more interesting things happen. Mm -hmm. Was there anything unique that happened at Duxbury Beach? Yeah, I think one of the really cool things that we were able to capture on Duxbury Beach was um, this pre and post storm profile. Um, so there was a storm in July of 2021. And uh, volunteers were able to get out on Duxbury Beach a few days before the storm and a few days after the storm. And that gave us an idea of how much was changing um, when the storm actually happened, because it was a, a short window of time. And the storm was kind of the biggest precipitation and wind and wave event that would have happened in that time period. Um, so you can kind of look at that, um, the two differences of the two profiles and see how much change happened, which is pretty cool. We also had a pretty big nor'easter in October. Um, and I seem to recall that that removed a lot of, of sand off yes. the beach. Yeah, it did. We had, yeah, late October, Nor'easter. I think you, uh, the Duxbury volunteers were able to get out on November 2nd, which was right afterwards. And yeah, there was this really interesting kind of lump that appeared on the beach that wasn't there before. And it had smooth, it became smoothed out by December when he visited, but um, the Nor'easter was able to move around enough sediment and um, create this big mound kind of right in the middle of the beach that was a unique morphological feature just for that month um, as a response to that storm. A lot of people only see the beach in the summer. What is the natural cycle of a beach throughout the year? Yeah, so if you are a summertime beachgoer, um, you might not notice how much change is actually happening on a beach. But um, typically, there are these seasonal cycles of uh, beach profiles. So in the summer, there are less frequent storms, uh, less frequent big storms. So um, the sand has an opportunity to kind of accumulate on the beach. And it's really good for beachgoers because there's lots of sand to sit on. Um, the beach is nice and big. But come the winter, there are these more uh, frequent and intense storms. So that can kind of wash the sand on the beach away and into a kind of underwater offshore uh, sandbar for the winter. And then the cycle repeats when uh, the spring and summer comes around again. The beach has a little bit of a break from the really intense storms, and that sand is able to build up again as the waves wash it in. Next, we're going to hear 
a little bit of audio from the field while we're out there conducting a beach profile. The method that's used to create that cross-section that Annie mentioned is called the Emery method. If you can imagine two poles that are connected by a rope, what we do is move those poles down the beach. One of the poles has markings on it, and you sight through that pole and look at the horizon. We move along, measuring the beach in six-foot sections, although where the slope changes quickly, we sometimes measure it in three-foot sections. When you connect all of those diagonal lines together, you end up with the sideways contour of the beach. So can you introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Pete. I'm Paige. Over there, we have... Hi, I'm Lancy. Uh-huh. All right. This is great fun. It's a beautiful day. Yep. And we are. We have two other steadfast volunteers uh, who have participated. We have Gwen <laughs> and uh, Joyce, who uh, are not here right now. Are you ready, Paige? Hi, did you measure the height to the nail? Did not. Yeah, that's your first test. Yep. Okay, 2.2. <laughs> Today is the 9th. The 9th, yes. At 9.09 on the 9th. Wow. Are you ready? <laughs> Are you all set? Is everyone ready? Or yeah. I think it's like 30 feet. 2.2 feet. And you're going to be yeah. sighting off this. Yeah. So Stake you, height um, 2.2. Yeah, so that's going to be the, 3.5 the measurement rod reading. Oh, over here. Yeah. And then you subtract the 5 feet, which is the height of the unmarked rod is 5. All right, ready? I see where you are. Okay. It's uh, 3.4. Okay. 3 feet. Yeah, 3.4. How's that? Well, the I, three didn't, of... <laughs> I didn't scrape it down all the way. The three of you have been doing it for almost a year now. Yeah. So. You're ready for a raise. You think yeah. we get <laughs> some pay? You think it's time we got a raise? Double our salary. <laughs> 2.10. Thank you so much to Annie O'Connell from Stone Living Labs, to Stone Living Labs itself, to UMass Boston, to the Duxbury Beach Reservation for allowing us access to conduct this survey. And of course, the information is helpful for them as well with all of their studies of their own beach. And finally, to all of the volunteers that have helped with this project, particularly those that have been willing to come out in the middle of the winter, as well as the nicer weather during the summer. This has been The Estruin Gradient. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can get in touch with me through Twitter, at Estruine Grady, or through the NSRWA's Twitter, at NSRWA, or you can send me an email at sarah at nsrwa.org.